new start, a blank page, an unstained canvas. For all of you students, welcome to a new year of school. I remember years ago now, my dad, I guess in retrospect, he must have known how I was living my life at school. Because every year about this time of the year, he would sit me down and he would say these words, and this is almost a direct quote. Now, Mark, you start a new school year. You have a chance to rework how you handle your life with people. At the time, I should have been insightful enough to look at that going, is he following me around or something? Um, Because certainly I needed to rework the way I was dealing with people and Uh, He said, anytime you go into a new school year, you have the opportunity to begin again. Wouldn't it be nice in life if we had that opportunity just because the calendar rolls around to a certain deal? You know, the older we get, the more we seem to fall into patterns of living. All of those are not always healthy. Some of them are sometimes quite unhealthy. We need new beginnings. What a great opportunity for us to follow Christ, don't you think? I want us to begin today a series that actually will take place on Wednesday nights rather than Sunday mornings, but I wanted to introduce this series I've entitled Beginnings because I think we all need to get back to the basics sometime. And what better place to get back to the basics in our Christian lives than in the very beginning? So take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 1. On Wednesday nights, now I've been here, I'm in my fifth year as pastor, and now we finally have a full staff, which gives us the opportunity now on Wednesday nights to have a fully uh, graded age-appropriate kind of offering for you as a church member. If you're a family and you have young children, we offer Awanas on Wednesday nights, and we would encourage you to be part of that. Uh, We're still looking for some workers. If you are interested in helping with that, we would love to talk to you about that. You can catch me or Kevin after the service, and we'll talk about it. But also, our youth have uh, appropriate for youth kind of uh, activities on Wednesday nights upstairs in the Family Life Center. And now, for the first time, we'll be doing a Wednesday night Bible study that I will lead. It will take place in the North Portable Building here, just outside of our worship center. But I want to begin a process with that study on Wednesday nights um, that maybe I should just kind of pull back and let you understand a little bit about me. I said I'm in my fifth year. Now, one of my unstated goals, uh, unstated to you at least, is that as pastor here, My intent is to preach through the entire Bible, all of the books of the Bible at some point or another. I don't want to scare you because, you know, we're five years and I'm getting to Genesis, so. Um, But I can tell you this, whenever I get to the book of Revelation, you better form a pastor search committee because I'm on my last leg at that point. Um, We need to study beginnings as we find them revealed to us in the book of Genesis. Genesis is a great place for us, especially if we're on the beginning phases of a journey of faith because, well, actually, we find throughout Scripture that it is about faith. 
first and foremost. It it is about what we believe and how we handle the Word of God as it relates to that belief. But in the book of Genesis, we find beginnings like the beginning of time and creation, as we find here in chapter 1 and following. Chapter 3, we find the account of the beginning of sin and its invasion into the human condition. We find the beginning of salvation history, both the plan of God and the people of God as we work through chapter 12 and following. And throughout that, we have this constant thread that ties it all together. And this thread actually surfaces in verse 1 of chapter 1. It is the thread of faith. What do you believe? This book is packed with doctrine and life help. We'll find family dynamics, family issues. As we work our way through the story of Cain and Abel, you'll find that your boys are not the only ones who seem to be full of the devil. We find integrity issues with a guy named Jacob. We find depression as it invades the life of one of God's patriarchs for his people. We find suffering in the life of Joseph. We find lots of real life help as we work our way through the book of Genesis. And so we'll begin to do that this Wednesday night, actually here today, but moving into Wednesday nights from this point forward. But as we begin this, I guess if this was a NASCAR race, I would say we're all going to start off under the yellow flag. There's a, there's a caution kind of approach that we take into a study of the book of Genesis. And I know that what I'm about to say probably is, uh, I, I really it would prefer that you listen to what I actually say, not what I don't say. Uh, my dad used to say, if you're going to call me a heretic, at least quote me right. So that's probably a good way for us to approach this. We have to understand that as we come to a study of Genesis in the evangelical world of our day, there are expectations that service immediately. People want to hear teachers and preachers say certain things. So I want you to hear what I do say here. Genesis is not intended to be a scientific treatise. It is a theological statement. Now, I say that because many people in our age seem to want to get into this ongoing debate about how we should look at creation. I'm not going to take that issue and preach the debate today because I think that we should just come back to what Genesis is intended to say. Here's what I need you to understand from the beginning. If you haven't already figured this out about me, you should know it by now. If not, then I'll just go ahead and tell you now. Everything that I do as I come as your pastor is to try to keep in front of us, first of all, the reality that we are called to be salt and light into a very dark and tasteless world. In other words, we cannot ever be satisfied with just feeling good about our church and how we operate internally. We should feel good about that. We should handle ourselves internally that the fellowship is good and teaching is online with Scripture. We should make sure that we get all of those I's crossed and T's. Well, you get my point. You see how bad it is when you don't get it right? 
And so when we step out of our nice little confined environment here into a world and we don't get it right, then we do damage to the cause of Christ. We don't fulfill what we're about. And I believe that we have maybe taken up the wrong fight when it comes to Genesis chapter 1. We get in these debates and we discuss the hows of creation. When in reality, the thrust of the chapter is the who of creation. So as we go into this today, I I just say that maybe we've undercut the effectiveness of our witness by tackling the wrong problem. I'm not saying that the other side is right. Surely you know me better than that by now. But I am saying that if we get the who wrong, there's no chance of getting the how right. So with that in mind, let's let Scripture do its job. What are some of the truths that we find in Genesis 1 that would be helpful for us? Let me go ahead and give you the passage for the day, and we'll read it. Actually, you know, I'm going to try to take the whole chapter, which means I'll get through the first two verses probably. And so let's just go ahead and read those two verses. Here's what we find, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so here's the first big truth. We we don't even get four or five words into this whole thing called the Bible as we come to it through Genesis chapter 1. We get four, five words into it and we are confronted with the issue of the entire Bible. What do you believe? In the beginning, God created. The word created there, the Hebrew word bara. Now you know Hebrew, you can go out and tell them that you know Hebrew. The word is a divine kind of word. It is only and always used in reference to the activity of God. God created. We quickly ask, okay, so what did he create? The words here, heavens and earth, together come for a Hebrew statement. They didn't have the word universe, and so they speak to it from this vantage point. God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, what we find is God created all. You okay with that statement? Okay, and if you're a little ambivalent about that, then hang in there. That's the statement. But what's the value of that statement for us? We quickly, in our day, for some reason, I don't really understand it. I know the paper tiger that's been put up there as the reason that we should believe the way certain people believe about this and therefore argue with everybody about it. But the reality of it is that we got to have a reason to believe this. Because it is about belief in the final analysis. God created the heavens and the earth. What's the value of that information for us? Consider with me for just a few moments how powerful that one statement is. What kind of power is required, as the old song says, to speak the word and the worlds come into order? What kind of power? Let's just try that on. Let me have one of you just stand up and speak something into existence like 
matter. Somebody make for me today, by your speech, a gallon of bluebell ice cream. We leave the big stuff to God, you know, the planets and stars and those things, but just somebody, please, speak into existence some bluebell for me. You see, you begin, (laughs) I know I can buy it. I I don't want to buy it. I want you to speak it into existence. See, you see what I'm talking about, the power involved But let's go beyond the power. How about the wisdom, the intellect required to speak something into order or to wave your hand, whatever it happens to be, however God chose to do this. How do you put together stuff from nothing, which is the way this reads, but do so in such a way there is this intricate order attached to it. We're smart people, 21st century Western civilization believes. And we have figured out how to map DNA. I'm not impressed with that as much as I am with the one who can design DNA maps. I learned something about this whole point. Uh, when I was in college, every once in a while I like to just let you know that I went to college because you know some some of you are not too sure about me I know but uh, so here's the deal and I've told you before I'm not really the big math guy I can do simple addition maybe a little subtraction on a good day um, but math's not my deal and science was not my deal if that's your deal more power to you all right I'll come to you with science questions but. I can parse a verb like nobody's business, but when it comes to that other stuff, it's not my deal. So I found myself trying to get out of college, uh, not to get kicked out. I've figured that out already, but I was trying to figure out how to get out with a degree. And so I'm looking through this last stage of my college career, and they tell me you have to have a year of science. That's two long semesters, 32 weeks of torture for me. And so I had heard these horror stories. By that time, Teresa and I had been married, and she had taken geology uh, at part of her. She loved it, okay? I'm not a geology guy, okay? Um, and I, I know other people who had taken biology and come screaming out of biology classes how it was a horrible way to spend an hour of your time. And so, I, I, okay, I, I can't do those things. I need the easiest science class they offer. I found it. It was in the college I went to, it was called Earth Science. This is where they talk to you about tornadoes and stuff like that. You know, I don't have to identify rocks. I just have to say, yeah, that looks like a cloud. It's my deal. So I get into this Earth Science class, and lo and behold, I don't know if our professor was a Christian or not. I suspect he probably was. But I was majoring in Bible at Wayland Baptist University, and I went to earth science class because I had to have the credit. But what I did is I went to church in that class. Because every week our professor would lay out another piece of earth science and it would take me back to those passages of scripture that talked about our world and the hand of God in creating our world. We live in Hurricaneville down here. 
That never really concerned me too much when I was living up in the panhandle of Texas. And so when we got to the whole discussion about hurricanes, uh, it was, yeah, whatever. But now that I live in Hurricaneville, I have a little more appreciation for the power of a weather system. Um, I have incredible appreciation for the design behind the hurricane. I learned in earth science class that the reason we have hurricanes is because it's a design thing as a cooling system for the planet. And so these weather systems that began, I learned a couple of years ago, an emergency management meeting locally here, that our hurricanes actually begin as seeds over in the Indian Ocean and then come across Africa and into the uh, Atlantic and ultimately make landfall somewhere on this part of the world. And in the midst of that, I remembered those teachings of our professor who talked about how along the middle part of the belt, if you will, of our world and the heat builds and it builds until finally it's got to be released. And so a hurricane comes and you know how that goes. It creates energy and it begins to move ultimately up towards the pole and take that heat from the middle part and dissipate it up over the poles. Welcome to science class today, by the way. Doesn't that say something about the designer of this world? Doesn't it say something about the intelligence that God brings to the table when it comes to creation? Here's the big truth that we need to get from Genesis 1.1. God did it. Uh, We can talk beyond that if we want to, but that's the first truth that we have to wrap our heads around. God did it, and he is so intelligent in the way that he did it that we are still discovering new truths. By the way, is Pluto a planet or not? Well, it was when I was in school too, but then it wasn't, and now it is again. You know, my real question is, does it matter, really? And the answer is really not about is it a planet or not. The answer might be God did it. Do you believe that? I'm not really asking you for a verbal response in church today. I'm asking you for a heart-level response. Do you believe that God was responsible for creation? Here's a great truth. We need to see this. Genesis opens and assumes the presence of God. Let me say that a different way. If I had been the one designing how Genesis was going to lay out, I'm pretty sure I'd have given at least one chapter to arguments for the existence of God. I think I would have probably started off by saying, okay, now we're going to talk about creation in a little bit, but since God did it, we probably need to figure out where God came from. Now, there's a very limiting intellectual argument. But the writer of Genesis doesn't bother with that. He just starts off by saying, God did it. 
And so when we come onto the scene of creation, God is already there. God is already active and working. And it leaves you and it leaves me in this crisis of belief. Isn't that something that not even half a sentence into the Bible, we're struck with a crisis of belief? Do I accept it or not? But you see, I'm going to come back to our deal before. We've spent so much energy arguing with scientists about how it happened that we miss the opportunity to put a faith question on the table. Do you believe that God did it? We can talk about how, but first you've got to start with who. And the writer of Genesis nails it down. Half a sentence in, God did it. A very divine word never used in any other context than with God, than the one where God is doing the creating. This is a bigger deal than we allow for. I know that we live in, you know, probably the edge of the buckle of the old Bible belt. But there are still people who just believe what they want to believe and call it reality. In other words, if you don't believe that God is real, doesn't change the fact that God is real. Okay? My dad tells a story, he used to tell a story, about a guy somewhere up in the middle lands of Texas, you know, one of those really cloistered kind of limited existence. He never really got off of the farm in which he was born until he was older. And people used to talk to him about the oceans and there's this water as far as you can see. And he said, I don't believe it. So finally, one of the family members loaded him up, took him in a car down to the Gulf of Mexico, pulled up to the beach. He got out and walked over to the edge and looked out across the Gulf of Mexico. And he said this, I don't believe it. And he turned around and got in his car and he was done. Let me tell you something, whether you believe the Gulf of Mexico or not, it's there. It's real. So many people in our time begin with the assumption that God is not real. And that makes it true for them, except it's not true. So we're hit with this crisis of belief before we even get started in creation, as far as the description that's given. Do you believe? First big truth is God did it. Here's the second big truth. God does good work. All right, no, no amen to that one. So let me see if I can establish that for you, all right? Uh, I, I've wondered from time to time this, why this one phrase recurs. Actually, there's two phrases that recur in this passage. And... Spencer, go to verse 10, if you will. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, or read it from verse 10, but it's also in verse 12 and 18 and 20. Here's the first of this recurring statement. Verse 10 says, God called the dry land earth and the waters were gathered together. He called seas. And here's this recurring, and God saw that it was good. You ever wonder why that's in there? That's not just in there once. It's in there repeatedly. As a matter of fact, it's in there every point from this point on until it gets to the end of the day where he creates man. <laughs> now, the other chapter will tell us that God looked at man and he said, man, that boy just ain't right. Uh, and then he creates woman. And then God says, that's awesome, right? Actually, what he says in, verse, in chapter one is, uh, and God saw that it was good. That's not a great English translation of the Hebrew here. The Hebrew stacks up these superlatives. 
It was like incredibly good. Okay, like, it doesn't say like. That's like a modern thing, you know. Um, it was incredibly, fantastically, unbelievably good. We just kind of read through those things. I, I want to ask you, why do you think he says it that way? Here's the other one. Why this order? This is now verse 5, Spencer, if you want to throw that one up. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning day one. Um, And then we find this throughout where he describes it, evening and morning. Now, you wouldn't have written it that way, would you? Because we like to say it's morning through evening, or we go from the morning, we get up in the morning, we're fresh, well, relatively speaking, and we move through the day, and then at the end of the day, we retire once it's dark, and we sleep through the night, and we get up to a new day. That's the way we say it. But why do they write it this way? And there are those who would argue that, well, that's the way the Hebrews looked at the day. That's not a true statement, first of all. It is that way some in the law, but we find it in other places where it's not that way. They looked at it the way we do. So the writer of Genesis has to have a good reason for writing it this way, and I think he has a great reason for that. The light he called day and the darkness he called night. You ever noticed how things at night are a little chaotic? You don't see as well. You can't pick out detail as well. You know, as the evening hours come and the light begins to fade, you know, the the texture of our world gets softer. And then sooner or later it gets dark and you just can't see what's out there. What you really need is light to be able to clarify and to bring order to it. For example, this week we had a situation at our house. Now, we where we live, we have a screened-in back porch. Now, it had been raining and so uh, Teresa had propped the back door of our porch open so that our dog could come and go um, and so uh, and get out of the rain theoretically, although he hadn 't figured that out real well but um, so uh, about two twenty in the morning, I, I was in my nightly coma, and I hear this noise as if something 's or somebody's breaking into the house. So I sat up in bed, and I looked down the hall and couldn't see anything, so I told Teresa to go check it out. Um, Well, I would have, except she was not in bed. And so in that comatose way of thinking, you know, we brought right out of a dead sleep, I thought, okay, she ran into something in the house and knocked it over, so I went back to sleep. Or at least try to go back to sleep. But that started, that was at 2.20, 2.21 to be exact, according to the watch. And so from that point on, I was trying to go back to sleep, but I couldn't quite go under. And part of that reason was on our porch, not four feet from where our uh, window and sliding door onto that back porch is, our dog was in his kennel at night because we've been having cats in the neighborhood and he chases them all night long and barks so we just lock him up and uh, so every time I would start to slip off into sleep Nanook would give one of those real low throaty growls with this subdued bark 
And just as I would be slipping off to sleep, he would do that and he'd wake me up. So by 4.15 or so, I'm thinking we're going to have roast dog for breakfast this morning. So I don't wake up happy in those kind of situations, just so you know. And so I get up and I walk over. And about the time I get up, he starts doing that again. And so I just kind of move the blind where I can see out. And it's so dark out there that all I can see is some kind of movement at that door. Remember, the door's propped open, and I'm thinking, oh, it's a cat, so we're going to have gato tacos for breakfast instead. <laughs> if you're a cat person, don't send me a letter, okay? I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat a cat. They're way too hairy. Um, so, so, I'm looking out, and I'm seeing what's going on, and I'm thinking, I'm going to get... So, I flip the light on to the porch, And there is a 4,000-pound raccoon on our porch. You know what a primal scream is? You know that one that just starts way down here somewhere? It it didn't come out. It was was there, but it didn't come out. And so I called Teresa and said, go deal with the raccoon out there. So I went out and I dealt with the problem. But here's what I want you to get from that whole thing. When light came onto the scene, I had clarity of what was going on. I think, and if you follow this day-by-day description that the writer gives us of how God moved, I want you to get the big picture first, how God moved from verse 1 or verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And by the way, in Old Testament theology, this idea of the oceans and the waters, uh, the children of Israel were not sea people. They were land people. And so the sea represented for them the unknown and chaotic kind of stuff. And so we begin with this statement that the earth is formless and void. It's chaotic. And the presence of God is hovering there ready to pounce into action, if you will. And so we see this movement from verse 2 to the end of the chapter when all of creation looks markedly different. And throughout that, on this daily progression, the writer says that he moved from evening, darkness, chaotic, to morning where light dawns. And much has been done to restore order, or to bring order in this case. Day by day, the whole week put together, we see this progression. Here's the truth we should get from that. God specializes in bringing order out of chaos. The creation account, as God speaks into existence, this thing we call the universe and our world, God is moving systematically to prepare it for man. That's a good word for us, especially if you happen to be one here who's living through some chaos right now. Because the creative work of God is always at work. His capacity for bringing order into the chaos is beyond ours. And now we're back to that crisis of belief because the very thing we started with, do you believe in God first and then that God is who he says he is? Because if you don't, you're locked in chaos. 
But we will find as we work our way through the book of Genesis that one time after another in the chaos of the sinful humanity, God steps in with order. How is it with you today? Feeling a little bit of chaos, a little bit of darkness in your world today? God speaks light. I'll take it a step further that by getting all New Testament on you. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. We find in Jesus Christ the final solution to darkness. Let me ask you to bow your heads if you will. Where's God in your life today? This one who created leaves you with this crisis. Do I believe or not? And I think that he would say to you, it is not enough to believe with your head. You also got to believe with your feet and with your hands. We say we believe many things and our lives seem to indicate otherwise. So the chaos that is yours today in this world is really good at doling out chaos. God says to you, I'll take you to a better place if you'll only believe. Father, we ask you to be at work in the lives of us all today. Help us to be really honest, really Um, searching of our own hearts and our own motives to see those places where we have given lip service to believing you but we've not really let you be God where we have tried to figure out our own solutions to the chaos of our lives instead of letting you speak life into them pray that you would do what only you can do in the lives of people today that you would bring light that it would dawn out of the night of our lives and we would find you to be who you said you are help us to believe is our prayer in Jesus name Amen